This podcast is a production of WBEZ Chicago. Become a new member of WBEZ or renew your membership at WBEZ.org. We can't do it without you. Hello to you, television friend. So what's your religion, Liz Lemon? Mm. I pretty much just do whatever Oprah tells me to. What you talking about, Will? It's business. We're soldiers. Well, what's the show about? It's about nothing. Honey, I'm home. Or at least a voice of a generation. Advertising is based on one thing. Happiness. There's money in the banana stand. There is nothing wrong with your television set. From WBEZ in Chicago, this is Changing Channels. I'm Leah Pickett. I'm Britt Julius. And I'm Allison Cuddy. Every week on Changing Channels, we watch TV and talk about its future. So this is our final episode of Changing Channels in our first season. Uh, We're excited for the next season, but we're going to take a little break and recuperate from all the TV we've been watching. But to wrap things up, this episode, we're going to do a little Emmy predictions. The Emmys are this coming weekend. We're also going to talk about a wonderful British quiz show, QI. And finally, our executive producer, Andrew Gill, makes his first appearance on Changing Channels to talk about his love of food on television. But first, as always, we start with the news. Who's going first? I'll go first. Really interesting news coming from Netflix and HBO. They have both admitted to using piracy sites to monitor what types of shows they should bring to the air. Um, They said they will basically look at what people are downloading the most, what they are torrenting the most, what they are streaming the most on these websites to determine both what type of content they want to sort of add to their um, uh, streaming view for, for Netflix and then also what types of shows they want to create. So, for example, for Netflix, they said that Prison Break, surprisingly enough, was one of the most popular shows that mm. was uh, uh, pirated and torrented and that sort of led to their decision or their reasoning as to why they created Orange is the New Black. No way. Wow. The prison demographic. Mm -hmm. Huh. That's fascinating. Surprisingly enough, yeah. Um, HBO apparently does the same thing uh, in terms of what types of shows they think will be the most successful. So wonder, I mean, it kind of makes sense because Game of Thrones is considered to be the, you know, most pirated show um, on all of these websites. And how many shows have started in the past, like, three years that have that sort of, you know, it takes place in some other realm, sort of, you know, British, sort of, you know what I mean? Yeah, more fantasy shows exactly. coming up. Exactly. Yeah, it's like uh, Queen of Scots, Mary Queen of Scots show that's coming up. Um, CW, yeah. Yeah, there's just, it seems like they're paying attention and so they're all trying to jump on this bandwagon or jump on um, what's happening with these, you know, what people like to download illegally and say, okay, we'll create content then that people will watch and and tune into. I can just imagine everyone over at Nielsen freaking out, okay, we've got to start measuring the illegal downloads, you know, when we do our ratings. (laughs) Yeah, it's a thing, I guess. Once a torrenter, always a torrenter, though. Like, are they really going to draw people in to pay if they're just so used to torrenting? Something else that goes along with that as well is that uh, uh, websites like Netflix, they will use the information from these piracy websites um, to negotiate. So they will, for example, they will negotiate with HBO 
video and say, okay, well, these are the numbers that are coming in from uh, uh, these torrenting websites. So, you know, if people stream with us, then you won't have to worry about them downloading illegally. You won't have to worry about them sort of going to, uh, you know, different outlets or different sources to well, watch your shows. trying to leverage a better deal, I imagine, with HBO in yeah. terms of, like, the contract. But have they made any deals with HBO? There are no HBO shows on Netflix. Right. There's tons of shows from other networks, so maybe they are doing the same thing with other networks as well. I see tons of ABC shows uh, on uh, Netflix. I see tons of um, AMC, AMC mm-hmm. uh, NBC shows as well. Um, but you're not seeing very many HBO shows. Well, HBO controls its own territory. They're not going to give that up so easily. It's probably smart of them to do that, too. Your return to Shoro was not part of our negotiations nor our agreement, so I must do nothing. And secondly, you must be a pirate for the Pirate's Code to apply, and you're not. And thirdly, the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl, Miss Turner. So we were talking about HBO earlier, and and my new story uh, is kind of about HBO, but it's about a lot of television. It's this spoof that's been gone viral um, on Facebook and other social media sites, and it's called HBO Should Show Dongs. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. But um, so essentially it's saying... Oh my gosh! There's so much female nudity. Look like a look at game. Game of Thrones is a big target of this spoof that you can't get through an episode without like tons of breasts hanging out all over the place. Why are we not seeing male type junk? And um, so this is kind of a group of women pointing out all the disparities. Not only that there just is a lack of full frontal nudity from men. But also that in shows where you, you know, that supposedly like a great one is um, one of the women is like inserted into green screened into the scene where Lena Dunham and Andrew Driver are having like mad sex in an episode of Girls and saying, oh, Leah Dunham, you're so transgressive with girls. Well, how come we don't get to see Adam Driver's dong, you know? (laughs) So it's kind of one of those things. It's very funny. It's very well done. And it... um, sort of just opens up a line of thinking you know I'm sure everyone thinks this but it sort of brings it to the foreground oh yeah it's true we really are being deprived when it comes to male nudity what do you guys think true blood just had their first um uh moment of male nudity with um, Alexander Skarsgård and it lasted for about like 10 seconds less than 10 seconds maybe like even four or five seconds he was already famous for his butt was like a big feature of the first season of True Blood yeah and then then it kind of went away and they went really sort of really uh, heavy on the female nudity especially second season there were orgies sort of like played into the plot of the show itself. Yeah, I mean, female nudity gets rating. Sex sells. That's Mm -hmm. how it is. There is a double standard there. I agree. But to play the devil's advocate a little bit, yeah, we see women's breasts on these shows all the time. But we also see men's bums, you know, on Game of Thrones. We see a lot of that. So the certain area that we're talking about here, the the dong area, we don't, I mean, we don't always get all up and close and personal in that area with women, too. I mean, there's definitely... Like I said, there is a double standard, but it's not exactly like we're focusing on the exact same area for women that we are for men as much. There is more, but it's 
You know what I'm saying? It's not totally equal. I guess, you know, I mean, Alexander Skarsgård is an interesting example because he is sort of eye candy and his body has been used, um, his physique has been used to sell true blood. I think it's not so much an, a literal cry, or well, maybe it is, for male nudity. They end by bringing on a group of men and they've kind of like digitally eradicated their, they're all naked, but they've digitally eradicated their private parts. But to sort of think about um, if sex sells, what kind of sex is selling and how come we can see like, you know, and this is a long running critique of film. We can see all kinds of violence. Like one of the things they bring up is that you see like a pregnant woman stabbed to death on yes. Game of Thrones. But in these scenes where supposedly, you know, like what what is called for is all of this female nudity. Why don't you get any, you know, I mean, get much male nudity to go along with it. And yeah. so I think it's sort of more interrogating the way we use sexuality um, and why we sort of draw the line when it comes to men, but we don't draw the line when it comes to other kinds of really shocking representations. Right, like violent rape scenes are okay to show, but a dong is too much. Yeah. Yeah. They've always said that like male nudity basically... it's almost like upping the level of the sexuality in like the movie at least. Like I've seen that argument made in terms of films. People equate it with porn, yeah. which is sort of weird, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's because it's like the money shot, right? You don't get to see it. And there's the age-old argument, do women want to see men naked as much as men want to see yes. women naked? Yes. yes. I mean, I think... <laughs> <laughs> so how about this? For every topless background extra. Every actress that bears or bounces but doesn't even get a line. Every minute we have to sit through this dumb double standard. You owe us an inch of grade A man meat. And if you don't do this. Or try to shut us up by throwing us some scrope. No one wants to see that. We will boycott. Boycott. Boycott you by not stealing our parents HBO Go passwords anymore. So don't give us the shaft. Show us the shaft. You're a premium channel. Let's see some premium penis. Oh, and AMC, if you wanted to show us John Hamm's dick, we would so be on board for that. This Sunday, the 65th annual Primetime Emmy Awards airs. September 22nd, Neil Patrick Harris is coming back to host. And so as the night approaches, I thought it would be fun for us here at Changing Channels to pick our favorites who are going to be taking home the gold in each major category. Uh, So who do you guys think will win or who do you think should win that you really want to be on that stage? Well, should win for Best Actress in a Drama Series is Tatiana Maslany for Orphan Black, but she's not nominated. So <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> yes, I will bring it up as much as possible. You know, it's interesting just that you invoke her because I was thinking some of the, like, the, the Emmys are interesting this year. I'm interested in them because they reflect some of the big trends going on in television. One we already talked about today was, like, television is, like, surpassing cinema as a place to go for quality programming. And you just look at, you know, it's hard not to think that TV is better than the movies right now. If you look at all of the categories, there's nothing in outstanding drama or comedy with maybe the exception of Modern Family as we've discussed (laughs) before that seems bad Um, and the acting talent I mean Vera Farmiga Melissa Leo Robin Wright Don Cheadle all these like actors and actresses that are really underutilized in the movies are not utilized to their best advantage but one of the other things I was noticing is like how many Brits there are involved in the awards you know like you've got all the Downton Abbey folks 
You've got Diana Riggs supporting in Game of Thrones. Lots of other actors in that series who are British. Benedict Cumberbatch. Damien Lewis of Homeland, you know, mm-hmm. who... Um, you I always forget is British. Yeah, yeah. Um, Top of the Lake, which is filmed in New Zealand, but is like a BBC uh, Sundance co-production with Australian Broadcasting. And, and, you know, there's some nominations for that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's surprising that Orphan Black, you know, given this sort of like, either we're remaking British television or we're using British talent to make America television that there isn't more of a nod to some of these like well, I don't want to call it quirky because that just seems like pandering but you know really intriguing right. but I feel like if it was like three years ago or four years ago it probably would have had um or Tatiana Maslany would have had a chance of getting nominated yeah. but I mean if you look at it, I think there's the most number of women who are uh, nominated for best uh, lead actress in a drama series ever there's seven nominations it's just and good ladies super competitive I mean oh, both yeah. um, lead and supporting in comedy and drama I mean it's it's a crapshoot like I don't know who to predict will win if you look at comedy Julie Louise Dreyfus, Edie Falco, Tina yeah. Fey, Amy Poehler, Laura Dern, Leah Dunham. I mean, who would you pick? Well, I think when it comes to it is a lot of these women have won either a Golden Globe or an Emmy before. So while I think that they're all great, I always kind of go towards the underdog, like who hasn't won. Like lead actress for a comedy, Amy Poehler, I really want to win. Not that Parks and Recreation has been like stellar the past season, but she is so overdue. Um, whereas everyone else in this category has won um, at least once. Laura Dern has won a uh, Golden Globe for Enlightened. But I would also like to see I'd be happy seeing her win because Enlightened got canceled and she's so good on that she's show. She's so, so good. Yeah. Yeah. So she's great. Um and then Breaking Bad has won a ton of Emmys, but I don't think I can see Brian Cranston not winning since he's won three Emmys for that show as best lead actor. But I do think that I would be surprised if Breaking Bad didn't win the Emmy for Best Drama just because it's the last season of the show. Um for best drama for uh actor my sentimental choice would be to go with John Hamm because John Hamm has actually never won which is crazy. for Don Draper, which is crazy. Actually, no Mad Men actor or actress has won an Emmy, which blows my mind. Elizabeth Moss is also nominated, but I think I would prefer so for her to Christina win Top Hicks, of the Lake. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I don't know. I think that Kevin Spacey actually will win Best Actor if I had to choose one who I think will win because House of Cards – just being in the Emmy race at all is a huge feat. We talked about that before. I think that uh, that would not be surprising if um, Kevin Spacey comes out. That's one of the awards. And they've already scooped up a couple of awards, right, in the mm-hmm. Emmys that were... Yeah, I was thinking about Mad Men and sort of like the prestige of that series, but what it wins or doesn't win for. I was a little sad, I have to say, for the Emmys that were already handed out last week that Linda Cardellini, who was like nominated in Guest Actress, which the Guest Actress and Actor categories are really kind of fascinating to look at Carrie Preston one for The Good Wife Mm -hmm. and that was a great role she's also on Game of Thrones but I know that it is the fate of a lot of the actresses who come on Mad Men to just be there to kind of show the deficits of Dawn Draper Mm -hmm. but Linda she was just such a really interesting character like in that small role she had so many she brought so many nuances to that character she was someone that I just like I so I was so moved by her more than the the regular the regular series actresses that I was kind of sad that she didn't get the nod there. Yeah, and to see her as such a different character than Lindsay Weir, which is probably her most famous role before this on Freaks and Geeks right. playing a teenager, she was a real complicated woman, which I, and and her character I agree really moved me. So you know, maybe next time, maybe they'll bring her back to Mad Men for that final season that they're splitting up. 
next year. What show do you think will win for best comedy series? Oh, well, hopefully not Modern Family. You know, we don't dis- we don't agree on everything here at Changing Channels, but we all agree yes. that Modern Family is overhyped and I hope it doesn't win. Some are predicting that this is the year of Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. I would be really satisfied with that. that yeah. I mean, that's a quirky, quote unquote, choice that I think that they should recognize. I agree. This has been his best season of the show, in my personal opinion. And mm-hmm. I think it would be really interesting for a comedy that is more experimental mm-hmm. and is at sometimes not even really funny, just kind of dark. Uh, to actually win, right? Um, because I think that after years and years of Modern Family winning, it would be refreshing to go back to the really interesting and um, unique and compelling comedies that are on air right now and rather, and not something that's just sort of standard. And Yeah, and it's interesting to see girls in the comedy category too because it's it's some parts are funny, some parts are depressing or dark. dark this season. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking exactly that, um, you know, who I would pick for um, supporting actor in a comedy comedy is Adam Driver from oh, Girls yes. but I just don't think of that as I mean he's he does comedy and he's a great like he obviously has the goods in many ways to do physical comedy you know mm. he's just a really fascinating actor and I forgive him his gap ads are unfortunate timing <laughs> <laughs> you're going too big too fast Adam but uh, I, I would pick him but yeah it is sort of expanding and stretching the comedy um, category. And speaking of that, I just wanted to give a nod to Bob Newhart for finally winning an Emmy. And Finally? Goodness gracious, But Emmy of Awards. all things, Big Bang Theory. Mm. I mean, it just seems like, ugh. What a, it's like getting a, you know, an honorable, one of the honorable Oscars or something. Like when they right. overlook, like Paul Newman or whoever, they look overlook for years and years and years. Oh, we'll give you one of these special Oscars because your career is... Not done, but you don't have a vehicle anymore to really showcase your talents. Right. They probably were like looking at their watches and were like, oh, uh, time's running out to give Bob Newhart uh, an award. Why didn't we give him one earlier? We'll give him. Yeah, I agree. Kind of. And also there's people who win Oscars for films that maybe they weren't that good in but oh you know we've never given him an oscar time to give him one you know they handed out all them costume and makeup awards already and i just wanted to single out a couple outstanding outstanding prosthetic makeup for a series miniseries and movies went to behind the candelabra oh! that leah Bracci biopic and i was like oh is that because of the big heap of gay they piled onto matt damon and mike douglas or <laughs> rob lowe's face i'm sorry rob Lowe's, whose face was a work of art right 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 so but yeah like men the thing this the things that men have to go through in order to be taken serious as actors. Like, you know, women have to kind of make themselves ugly. Well, men do too. It's kind of fascinating. But I also was surprised that Portlandia won an outstanding costume for a variety program or special. I kind of love that because that show is all about costuming, you know? I mean, right. it's about how they inhabit the characters, but the props are so critical to Portlandia that, that and I, the I wigs. appreciated that. Yes, the you're wigs. right, you're right. Yes, the wigs should win an award. They should have an award for wigs just to go to Portlandia. We will definitely be watching the Emmys this Sunday, September 22nd on CBS. And if you are too, or even if you're not, you can follow us on Twitter for all of the updates. My Twitter handle is Leah, L-E-A-H-K, Pickett. My handle is at Briticisms. And I'm at W-B-E-Z-A Cuddy. So find us at the hashtag Changing Channels on Twitter. We'd love to live tweet back and forth with you too. Let's go, kid. You want the big gig? Let's see it. Make me laugh at the count of three. One. Two. You know what your problem is? You're... 
You're just a pencil penis parade. You just bought yourself another week. Go home and get some rest. All right. So one of my favorite shows is not in competition. It's not in the running for an Emmy. It's not even on American television. It's QI. The show does have a wonderful claim to fame, though. It is number four in most popular shows to illegally download slash BitTorrent. Um, QI was launched by famous British television creator John Osborne. You might know him for Black Adder. It's hosted by legendary comedic genius Stephen Fry. It's supposed to be a quiz show, but it's less that than a, a group of improv comedic wizards like David Mitchell from Peep Show, Joe Brand, Alan Davies, riffing on some of the most arcane and interesting facts out there, whether you're talking about artificial intelligence or kangaroos. I got the opportunity to talk with a researcher and original member of the show, John Mitchinson, about what makes QI fun and which American comedians would be best suited for the show if an American version of QI ever gets made. So I'll just start by um, how you wound up um, being one of the researchers for QI. How did that happen? Um, well, it was kind of ridiculous um, coincidence, which was I ended up living in the same village in Oxfordshire, a small village called Great Chew, as John Lloyd. And um, I was working as a publisher sort of 12 years ago. Um, and John and I met literally in the pub in the village and got talking and discovered we had a lot in common and I'd, I'd, I'd known he'd made some very famous TV shows, Blackadder and uh, Spitting Image in the UK. So I knew his work, and he was kind of interested in some of the stuff I was publishing. So um, he, uh, over a period of time, he then said, I've, I've had this idea for a completely different kind of, of company uh, dedicated to all things interesting. He said, you know, I've got a name. It's called QI. It's quite interesting. And I said, well, how, how, do, you, how do you determine what's interesting, John? And so we had a fantastic five-hour session where he went through some of the stuff that he'd done, some of the research he'd already started to do. So we, we decided to set up a business together. And um, 12 years later and 11 TV series later and, I don't know, six or something books later, we're still doing it. Um, and we, you know, we've got a much bigger team now, but it's, uh, it's, it's still, like, you know, I think it's, it's, it feels small scale, but we, um, I think we punch way above our weight. You know, we kind of, I think the show was like the fourth most popular illegal download on BitTorrent US. I mean, it's, it's, it's got a real cult following. That is definitely something to be proud of in this day and age. I know. Right? It's, it's, it's annoying because, you know, you think, why can't the networks, for goodness sake, see that, that you know, this, is, this has got... It, well, the great news is we're, we're now, we're just literally... Um, I think our 10th series is just being... Um, you can get it through Hulu in the States, which is exciting. Right. That's we, been... That's been a big thing, right, to try and get an American network. I mean, there's a yeah. petition on your website. Uh, yeah. What? I mean, I've read it's about the images that you project during the show. Well, there's been a bit of that. But to be honest, now, I mean, the latest series, that's not an issue. I think the bigger issue is just there really isn't a tradition of the intelligent panel show um, in, 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 in American broadcasting. You know, you kind of have quiz shows, which are very much kind of about people, you know, scoring points and winning prizes, and then you have kind of smart kind of daily show stuff with, with comedians, but you don't have this sort of strange hybrid that the UK's got a lot of, and which, in, to, some, to some extent, QI's sort of pioneered. 
I know there you've given rise to all kinds of um well not QI wannabes but QI sort of inspired shows. Yeah. Um unbelievable truth and and um uh pointless the, 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 you know even in some ways that things like um uh mock the week where you've got four comedians talking about topical stuff. I mean what we do tends not to be topical. You know, our, our job is to find really, really fantastically interesting research and to sort of shape questions um, so that that's another thing. I mean, so much of the show is almost like improv, you know, because it really doesn't matter. You get rewarded for being interesting on QI if you get a, if you make an interesting question, uh, response to a question. Shall I I'll give you a good example from one of the early shows, which, which is a, a classic QI question, which is why don't pigeons like going to the movies? So... Um, Bill Bailey came up straight away with said, well, you know, probably they've not been included in the focus groups. So, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the, the themes of the, of the films are just not interesting to pitch. Right. <laughs> and then Alan Davis says, you know, oh, how old is an, an adult pigeon? He's down, you know, probably not 10 years old. So they can't get into any of the kind of, you know, the, uh, the X-rated movies, the adult movies that they'd really want to go and see. And then actually the real answer is that they, um, 42 frames per second, 24 frames per second would... M- because their, their visual acuity is, is, is such that that would be like a slow PowerPoint presentation. There wouldn't be any illusion of movement. You'd have to be, you'd have to be running the film at almost double the speed for a pigeon to, to actually see it as, as moving images. To satisfy pigeon vision. Yeah. Wow. So, interesting answer at the end, but also really fun kind of, you know, speculation from the panel going through. And that, that's kind of how the show works with Stephen Fry being, you know, the kind of the, the, the exasperated teacher, you know, trying to keep an unruly classroom. Uh, and, you know, Alan Davis being the, you know, the, 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 lead, the lead sort of um, kind of uh, student who's, who's, who's causing chaos at the back of the class. You know, I first watched this show via YouTube. I was introduced to it right. that way. And I'm watching the first, the first time I remember it. And all of a sudden I said to my boyfriend who introduced me to it, I said, They've been talking about artificial intelligence for 10 minutes. And yeah. he said, yeah, isn't it genius? And I thought, nobody in America would ever stand for this. Do you think, like, British humor and British sort of, like, television is fundamentally different from American television? Honestly, I, I don't believe so. I mean, John and I have always felt this. We, we're huge fans of American comedy, you know, and, and we love, you know, look at your amazing, you know, long-form dramas now on HBO. I mean, I think intelligent audiences are out there. In, 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 and, you know, the fact that so many people want to watch, uh, you know, QI on YouTube and, and, and God knows BitTorrent, but I, I don't really buy this idea that the American audience is... Yeah, okay, maybe they've got different uh, different preferences, but I'm struck by you know my my kids are huge Big Bang Theory fans, you know, and oh, I think yeah. something about learning and humour go together very very well. And I would say, you know, if in in a way, what would be the fun thing for us would be to give our material to a bunch of American comics and see what they would do with it, well, and you know, a different host and a different. You know, a different set of pe- people, a different set of intelligences would would probably come up with something that would work brilliantly. For yeah, me. you've anticipated my question. So, if if you were to do an American version of QI rather than just distribute it here, do you have people in mind? I mean, which comedians would you like to see? I, I, I mean, we God, it's that's tricky. It changes all the time. I mean, we've always felt that you know those kind of um, the, the Daily Show guys, you know, uh, um, John Stewart and Stephen Colbert, have a kind of similar. They come from a similar place. Yeah. But, you know, there's so many good... good I mean, you know, the, the, 
I'm less familiar now than we used to be with the, with the American stand-up scene. But we know we we occasionally will have a, you know, one of those. I mean, he's Canadian rather than American, but you know, a Greg Proops or one of the, the whose line is it anyway guys coming on, and they of course they're completely brilliant on on QI because right. they they've got that amazing improv genius, you know. And a lot of our, um, you know, we did a quotations book, and it's it's full of Jack Handy and 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 and, and Stephen Wright. You know, the the, the the comedians that we love are often are often those very dry. You know, George Carlin. Uh, I mean, who's dead, obviously, but you know, I think there, I think you could get very and Rich Hall, who is a an American, has been a kind of staple. Um, and Reg Reg Hunter, you know, we, there there are plenty of American comedians. They may be more deadpan and dry, but I think they. They kind of get the the, the uh, they get the idea that they're being offered stuff to improvise around. It's not really a quiz, and um, once you get into the sort of that, the swing of it, I think it works. It works. It works really brilliantly. I mean, it's popular. It's popular. It's it's curious to us that it hasn't been. The Swedes have done it really well. And you've got a Czech version coming out, right? A Czech version. That's going to be fascinating. Yeah. The Australians are now talking about maybe wanting to make their own. They they obviously take the show the UK show, but they're actually talking about maybe wanting to do their own. It is shocking that there isn't an American version of QI since basically American television these days is just, you know, stealing from the Brits or from the Danish well, or whomever it, we can get. I know. I, it, it, it's, a, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. It's, it's, and, you know, I think, I think maybe it will, it will, maybe the Hulu thing will help. And, you know, there'll be a, there'll be a sort of a, a breakthrough. I, you know, it's always good for us if the books start to sell. I mean, the, the first book of General Ignorance was a, you know, New York Times bestseller. You're going to say, "Well, look, this is essentially the book of the show." If the shows, are, if the books are bestseller, well, surely there must be a big enough audience for for for, for the show right. to reach. And you know, the thing that really puzzles us is BBC America. You know, they you'd think they would just risk doing it, but no, they just I don't know. Their demographic is they're so. I think maybe that is a, a difference that the demographic, the demographic kind of breakdown for American networks is so. Um, it's so precise now, and maybe you know we just don't. But I've always felt that good television—you have to take a leap of faith. If you want to make new, new and innovative stuff, somebody's got to take a, a leap of faith at some point. Do you want to tell us one of your favorite K topics before you go? <laughs> um, we did a we did a um, a show that was called Knees, Knuckles, and Knockers. <laughs> <laughs> so it enabled us to, it was just vaguely body parts, but it was in fact the knockers turned out to be, we, we found some great stuff that there is a, in, in the 19th century in the UK, there were people employed as knocker-uppers because, you know, they didn't, most people, you know, they had factories to run, people had to start early in the morning and most people didn't have clocks and watches. So people would literally go around and knock people on people's doors and throw stones against their windows <laughs> to get them up. <laughs> I thought you meant knock them up, like get them impregnated. No, 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 no. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a. Well, of course, we 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 love a double entendre on the show. Right. So, um, but I that, guess that I, would be one uh, way to wake them up. Yeah. So we had we had we had we had great fun. Well, that sounds wonderful, and it was really great to talk with you. I appreciate it so much. Well, well thank you, thank you for making best of luck. And yeah, well, let's, let's hope we let's hope we're, the next time we talk, we've got uh, Q, QI commissioned by a cable or a, a network. Thanks so much, John Mitchinson. No, no, there are two words in the English language that rhyme with purple. Two. Burple. I won't say everyday words, but Murple, there are two words. Now, I'm afraid you have purple. to lose ten points there. That's OK. I'll tell you the answer. Lurple. Tent. <laughs> you will get there if you go through all the sounds Slurple. known to man, you Wurple, will get there. Maple, Maple circle. Maple circle doesn't count. Circle.
Purple, yeah, purple, 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 purple. Do you know what you're doing on national television? <laughs> Mrs. Davis's little boy has grown up to go purple, 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 purple. Not common words, but you had a swimming pool and you you covered it in fur, it'd be a fur pool. Purple. <laughs> <laughs> it would, it would, it would. I'll tell you the answer. It's purple, is one word. I we, think I said purple. You did. <laughs> <laughs> a program that did scoop up a couple of Creative Arts Emmys last week is the cooking show Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown. It won CNN's first primetime Emmys for Outstanding Informational Series or Special and for outstanding cinematography for nonfiction programming. Now, CNN just launched the second season of Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown. It's a far cry from Rachel Ray, and we thought it'd be a good time to consider the state of food TV, so who better to do that with us than my co-host on Strange Brews, WBEZ's podcast about the culture around craft beer, and, by the way, the executive producer of Changing Channels, Andrew Gill. Hello. I'm finally... Alive on the show, <laughs> not like just behind the glass. We're so happy to have you <laughs> on. So great to have you here. Hi. Thank you. So um, you're a big food show guy. Yeah, and so I should say real quickly, parts unknown is sort. There's cooking that happens on parts unknown, but it's a not quite a cooking show. It's a food show. Yeah, it's, my it's bad. It's a food show, but it's also a travel show. It's a politics show. It's a like a. Re- culture show it's like all these different crazy things it's I, it's like this new form and it's really exciting to me um have you guys watched it i have you, watched it yeah i'm a big anthony bourdain fan and okay. it, it makes a lot of sense for for him because i think even when he you know when he used to have um no reservations no reservations mm-hmm. yeah it was you know that was more about you know more focused on the food, but he was still having these really great conversations where he would talk about kind of like what you said, everything like politics and and just just a wide variety of topics that that kind of dealt with food, but a lot of times didn't. And he was really, um, really interested in where he was and the environment and the culture of where he was, what city, what country he was in. So it makes sense that that uh, that parts unknown is what it is. And, and like right up top, we should point out there's problems with Anthony Bourdain. You oh, know, totally. he's a problematic figure in some ways. He's he's very macho and sort of like this old white guy kind of stereotype, you know, and his politics are kind of predictable, mm-hmm. you know. But um but I think he's been a part of some really great TV. So like with No Reservations, that show was on the Travel Network and he ran into some issues when he got more political in later seasons. So um you know, he did a really moving episode in Haiti where he visited just after the earthquake. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where he's like uh, interviewing this woman who's making like these this, like black beans and rice soup. And like uh, there's just kids swarming the set because they're hungry, you know. <laughs> and so he just buys out all her food and gives it away to everybody. But he's still troubled. He's like, what's that going to do? You know, it's going to feed these kids for an afternoon. But you know, I'm going to leave and there's huge problems here and what am I doing, you know? And that's on the show, which is not exactly, I think, what the executives at Travel Network want. They kind of want... All right, it's like he's like Anderson Cooper all of yeah. a sudden going, what the hell is going on here? So jumping to CNN makes a lot of sense for him. But it's, you know, that's just one type of food show. There's a million others. 
Do you guys have any favorites? Well, it, it just really reminds me about how much food TV is changing. It's just not for the Food Network anymore. I will admit, yes, I do like watching Rachel Ray or Giada in her kitchen to pick up some new recipes. But I think food is such a cultural staple. It goes so much beyond that. And it is so connected to culture, like how we were talking about. I mean, No Reservations was a favorite of mine when it was on. Um, but... Yeah, so how do you feel like with everything changing so much? Do you think that food shows should be on networks like CNN and should be tackling more things? There is that show that Mo Roca is going to have about his Jewish culture where he talks to his grandparents. And it's not just about the delicious meals that they make, but about family and, and how that food is connected to who they are as people. I haven't seen that show yet, but I did watch uh, when I was, you know, getting ready for this segment i w- did find another show that he does on the cooking channel that's um i'm blanking on the name of it now but it was a very basic format show where it, i watched an episode on mexican food and he you know he had some really goofy setups where he's with a mariachi band and wait and, this is moraka not yeah, rick bayless you know, this is Mo <laughs> yeah now, i mean and rick bayless we should mention too i mean well yeah I obviously mean, he's got a strong connection to the station so it's hard to be unbiased when we talk about him but uh, his show Mexico One Plate at a Time has been long running on PBS. I think it raises I think and I'm not putting this on him but I think it speaks to what you were talking about earlier um, the lack of maybe diversity or the, the the way there has been a lack of diversity so you, you know the one guy who represents Mexican food in American culture at least in terms of television is Rick Bayless who you know has you know, obviously has an authentic culinary connection to the cuisine and is, you know, I mean, he's built an empire on it. But to me, sometimes that's always problematic. But that just, I think, speaks to the larger issue of the way different cultures or diversity gets represented on television. But I I really like that show. You know what show I really like? What? I'm a little embarrassed to admit. Um, I love watching Martha Stewart. I, 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 she's so soothing. I feel like she knows exactly what she's doing. And I mean, I'm the kind of person, and I'm sure this is sort of the typical cooking show watcher, right? I mean, I will make a Rick Bayless recipe because I just love that food. But Martha, I just watch just to enjoy watching. I'm not there to learn anything. I mean, other than to learn more about her brilliance. Well, the, and there's something about the production values of all of her shows. Like, she has a whole, you know, host of shows that some air on PBS um, and don't even have Martha on them, but they're yeah. her production company. Right. And they're just like a zen moment, yeah, of like watching a peaceful pond or something. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. But the more that I think about this is the point that keeps coming to my mind is that there isn't a lot of diversity in the hosts of these shows. Like I think of Paula Dean, and we won't even get into that controversy, but that also recalls it. Uh, Alton Brown, who I also like, Martha Stewart. I mean, it's a bunch of white people, to Nigel put it Lawson. Well, there's Padma on Top Chef. Yeah, which brings us to another type of food show, which is the competition shows. That's my favorite. Yeah, I, I think like you're a top chef. Yeah, I mean, I think that like competition shows more than um, more than any other type of uh, uh, competition show that's outside of the food realm. It's always compelling. I don't know why, right? Like, I got bored with uh, Project Runway, like, after maybe, like, three seasons. I still watch Top Chef, and it's just as good as it was in the beginning because I think what they do is that they get even better chefs, and it becomes even better to watch. All right, so which of the competition shows is your favorite, then? Because you've got Top Chef, you've got Iron Chef America, you've got Master Chef, you've got the... 
what is it, The Stew? No, there's a show that Anthony Bourdain is a host of. Oh, The it's Taste. Like, no, The Taste. It's a takeoff on The Voice, mm-hmm. right? But for food. Yeah. So which one do you like? <laughs> well, I definitely don't like The Taste, and I wouldn't be surprised if that got canceled. Um, I started off by watching Iron Chef. Me too. Um, but I I am a ride-or-die Top Chef fan. I, I love Padma. I love... Gail. Gail's my favorite. I love when she had Top Chef Just Desserts because I'm a huge sweets fan as well. Mm -hmm. But I think that they just choose, you know, obviously they choose people so they'll make great TV, but they are also choosing people who are really, really talented. And I think that they kind of um, air more on the side of the talented people. And so you get these really great seasons. Can we take a small moment to talk about the product placement on Top Chef? Oh, well, that's terrible. (laughs) The the lean cuisine. And they take like five minutes to describe what it is. And also on Top Chef, they have those celebrity cameos, which I find hilarious because I don't think these people know anything about food. Like Drew Barrymore will come on and be like, this tastes good. Yeah, Zoe Deschanel (laughs) was on one. Oh, hers was infamous. Because like Jimmy Fallon. The, the Project Runway does those things, like the endorsements, and then the guest judges far better than Top Chef does. It speaks maybe to the fact that, like you're saying, Britt, the chefs are like top notch, but they're also people like you can root for your hometown chefs, you know, um, mm-hmm. because you might actually like you can go eat at one of Stephanie Isard's joints or something like that. Well, I have a, I have one show that I really want to endorse and. Uh, and tell people about if they haven't heard of it it's called the mind of a chef um it's on pbs and anthony bourdain is also involved it's actually oh my the pro- gosh i'm off with this guy it's the, it's, <laughs> it's the production company that he works with 0.0 which i looked him up and realized they're behind almost all my favorite food shows so they were behind no reservations um this show that sh- ran for a very short time called diary of a foodie uh, there's some gourmet, some gourmet magazine shows, which that magazine doesn't exist anymore. But anyways, The Mind of a Chef is on PBS, and they've, they're on their second season now. The first season was all about David Chang, the chef at Momofuku in New York. Um, and so there's some diversity, you know. Um, and it was all just like these thematic episodes like about smoke or about like um, freshness or rottenness or (laughs) things like that where it would just really be he'd like travel to Japan and like learn how they make um, miso or ramen or you know these different sounds very PBS no but it's very entertaining (laughs) though Um, you know it's really good production it's half hour show it's on Netflix so Check it out if you get a chance, um, The Mind of a Chef. It's the- kind of like, I mean, hearing that, it kind of goes with, with what's going on with food culture in general. And I I mean, there's more food shows on, on the air than ever before. And that, you know, just how you describe that sort of reminds me of the magazine Lucky Peach, which goes yeah, <laughs> so in-depth into, like, crazy stuff. Yeah, which is, you know, Lucky Peach is what Momofuku means in uh, in. Really? Yes, wow. and that's David Chang is the editor of the magazine. So Full it's all yeah. <laughs> wow. It's his aesthetic getting really out there. But Anthony Wardane is the narrator of this show. So um, if you like Lucky Peach, you will love The Mind of a Chef. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm going to watch that. Well, thanks for that recommendation. Sure. Thanks Andrew. for having me on. Yeah. And thanks for guiding us through, the, I guess, the second half of our first season Breaking here on Bad Changing Style. Channel. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll be back in a few weeks. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks so much for joining us and um, supporting us through our first season of Changing Channels. thought I'd show you just a cute trick for peeling an entire head of garlic. Just put the whole head of garlic in a bowl. You have to have two of the same size bowl for this. Put the other bowl right on the top like this and shake. 
good is happening. I smell a lot of garlic. Oh, and look what's in the bowl. One perfectly peeled clove, two, three, four. This is the fastest, most efficient way of peeling garlic I have ever found. So here we have all Changing Channels is a production of WBEZ Chicago Public Media. Our executive producer is Andrew Gill. Our intern is Mickey Capper, And our digital content editor is Tim Akimoff. You can subscribe to this and all of our podcasts in iTunes. Be sure to rate and review us while you're there. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at WBEZ. Find more information about this and all of our podcasts at WBEZ.org. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect our community, our nation, and our world. More information available at chicagopublicmedia.org.